So how was your week? Those of you that took the challenge, who took the challenge? Who attempted the challenge? Who attempted? Some of us? All right. So the challenge was that we would give the Lord 30 minutes every day of um, exclusive time where we would just be quiet before him and hear his voice. And uh, did, did the Lord, was he faithful? Did he speak to anybody this week? I saw some, yeah, some comments on the face, Facebook that we were doing as well that talked about what we were doing, so that was good. But God is faithful, amen? amen. And when you give him the time, um, he will come through for you. And I would encourage you that this is not, uh, the 20-minute challenge wasn't just for um, this week. It, it's, it's for life. Um, we wanted to kickstart that in your hearts to uh, challenge you to think, are you giving the Lord time that's due his name? Because he really does deserve all that we have, right? I mean, God really deserves everything we have. And so um, continue that, press in, make it a priority, amen? This isn't easy stuff. Jesus said, your life, when you confessed his name and got saved, that this life wouldn't be easy, but you would be victorious, right? He said persecutions would come, but he said that his spirit would be in you and he would overcome the world through you, right? So this is a, not an easy task, but it's a task that you need to take because this is not about just getting a ticket in heaven and skipping out on hell. This is about knowing the Savior, the creator of the whole world. That's what that's about, is knowing God. Amen? Um, and as we get started, don't forget this Bible study on overcoming offense. Man, I'm telling you, this is a good book to get you free from uh, uh, a spirit of unforgiveness and resentment. Um, it's a great book. It's going to change your life, I guarantee it, because it's full of God's Word. And uh, when you obey God's Word and get yourself in alignment with God's Word, you have freedom in your life. Amen? So that's a good day. So let's get into the Word this morning. I want to uh, talk about, uh, we're kind of going to, we're going to start a new series today, and I kind of meshed it in because I wanted to get into the book of Job, right? But today I'm, I want to introduce a, a thought concept to you that God's put on my heart to share with us. And as your, your notes say there, what is God really like? I want to talk to you about what God is really like. And, you know, with the, with the understanding of of this word from the Lord that I got in my devotional time this week, which was make the message clear. A clear message of who Jesus is is what the church needs to present to the world. So I want you to think right now, did anyone have a hero growing up? Did you guys have heroes or people you looked up to kind of? Yeah? You did? Yeah? Okay, this, you, can, you can talk. <laughs> what was that? That was weird. Cowboys? Cowboys? So yeah, there's... Heroes growing up. I want you to think about that. Have you ever thought about what that person's really like? Like in, in real life. I, I want you to take a look. Bo, put up the first picture. This is my one of my heroes growing up. Who, who's that? Han Solo, right? So Han Solo was, uh, you know, started the Star Wars in the 70s. And he was like the cool guy. You know, he was kind of the, you know, the bad guy. But, you know, great heart. And changed his, you know, his thinking over time. And fell in love. And... Man, I just remember growing up, I had all that Star Wars action figures and X-Wing fighters and all that stuff. And man, I grew up, oh man, he's so cool. He, and I used to wear this gun, you know, how he wore it, the, the guns slung down his thing like the old Western, but it was a lightsaber. So, you know, I got the sounds down. Who did the sounds? Pew, 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 pew. Yeah, my sister makes fun of me now. She's like, man, you used to do that all the time. Well, so, and then, you know, we all have heroes, right? We all have people that we looked up to, but then there's always the people, sometimes when 
when reality hits or something comes out about that person, you know, man, they're not all they're cracked up to be, right? Because maybe the, the news smears them or, I mean, you know, you think about social media, right? The news can be so crazy because there's so much stuff out there. There's so many sources that you have all these conflicting stories that come out and information. And so you could really smear a person and be like, man, they're da 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 And it may not even be true, but because it's out to millions of people, all of a sudden people just accept it as truth, right? And I remember one hero I had. See, if, Put it up the next picture. See if you guys know who this is. Many of you may not know who this is. Does anyone know who this is? Huh? No? It is Bill Russell. Good job, Greg. So Bill Russell was a great ball player um, in the old days. And I grew up, um, actually, I, I grew up in, well, loving basketball in the 80s was probably a big era when I loved. So put up the next picture. See if you guys can name these people. <laughs> Anyone know the names? Who's the guy in the far left? The skinny one. 21? Anyone? No. Huh? No. Kareem would be like out of the picture. <laughs> That's Michael Cooper on the left. Then four was who? No, Byron Scott. Loved him. My favorite guy couldn't jump. Who was the white guy? Rambus. Kurt Rambus, yeah. And then, of course, Magic on the right. And uh, Nicholson, that was just funny. So, hey, you like their shorts? I, I used to wear those in high school. That's how short our shorts were in high school. It was pretty bad. In fact, I, I should have, nah, that would have been bad, putting up an old picture of me. That would have been scary. Man, they were short, but they got longer through the years, and by the 90s and 2000s, they were past the knees and all that. But see, these are the guys I grew up, but go back to the, the prior picture, Bill Russell. So I'm about probably 12 to 14, and we're driving the grapevine. We used to live in L.A., and we drive up the grapevine to uh, Visalia area. My grandma lived in a small town called Strathmore um, by Porterville area. So we drove all the time. And one time we were driving back down and we stopped to get gas at a gas station right at the base of the grapevine, you know, and there's that, all that stuff. But back then there was just one or two of them. There wasn't all the stuff there now. So I come in and I'm, I'm getting in the, you know, go in the bathroom, come out and Bill Russell's standing out there. And my mom and dad go, hey, that's Bill Russell. Go get his thing, you know, because you know, he's a cool player. And I'm like, yeah, and I was like all enamored with that. So I went over and, hey, are you Bill Russell? And, you know, asking for his thing. And he's like, I don't give autographs anymore, kid, man, and laughed, turned around and went away. And I mean, there was no one around, right? There was, there was no people, no lines, no nothing. And I was like, well, he's a jerk. Like, wow, kind of crushed your dream. You know, when you think, man, these guys are awesome. And they kind of, you know, and I didn't. I've always wanted to know, you know, as a kid growing up, the heroes, the cowboys, the, the, the Han Solos, the, all the guys that, that you and girls that you uh, th think of on TV or, or even in life where you're like, man, I, I, I want to know them or I want to know what they're really like. And man, that was a disappointment because he wasn't all that I thought he was. And you know, the same similar thing through, through teaching and through tradition and through your upbringing has happened to God. And a lot of people today are disappointed about who God really is because they've heard stuff that's not true. You could take that picture down, Bo. And a lot of people today, they think of God, and because stories have come out about what he's like, people get a misconstrued idea, and they think about God in a way he's not. And I really want to spend time 
not just today, but for several weeks now, talking through this about what God's really like and, 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 and confronting the things that have taught us in our past and even Bible stories that have been kind of tweaked a little bit. They skew God. And you know, if you can just skew something a little bit, you can kind of turn something totally different. Uh, you know, uh, one degree difference in an angle at the beginning may not be that big a deal, but one degree after five miles is a big difference. And, and I think if we're not careful, and when we study God's Word, and when we, we, we sometimes sit in, in, in church, and we listen to YouTube videos, and we listen to preachers and teachers that are great stuff, but sometimes we just accept things as little truth without being studied in it, and out, without really being like Bereans. Remember the Bereans in the, the book of Acts, where they Paul came to them and he started preaching to them and he's like, hey, da-da-da, this is Jesus and he's telling all about this new creation and all this stuff. And he's like, uh, they're like, yeah, that sounds good, but let's, let's study this. And so they, every night they went and they tore open the old scriptures and they looked and they, oh my gosh, that word he said was true. That was right. Oh yeah. So they discovered that, um, that he's right through study and through uh, time to get to know somebody. And because of that, they got a true revelation of who Jesus was, not something that was smeared or different or not a disappointment about what we thought maybe God was at some point. You know, we can't really trust somebody until if we don't really know them. We can't get into a vital connection with God if we don't know him. So the more we come to know him, and in this knowing I'm talking about two things, knowledge we got to grow in the knowledge, and it's got to be the correct knowledge about him. And then we also got to grow in the knowing intimacy, knowing level of him, which we've talked about even in our vision statement, John 17, 3. This, this is eternal life that they might know him, remember? And I'm going to keep driving this in your hearts because the word gnosko in the Greek there is a deep meaning of personal relationship, one-on-one, -on -one, you hear him, he hears you relationship. And that's what we're driving for, because we can't really know someone, we can't trust, and if you can't trust someone, it's hard to walk and do and work with them in life. Just imagine if you have aspects of God you're not quite sure about, and it affects your trust to some degree, you still love God, you're still a Christian, but you don't understand how he works, and there's ways that are, are, are like, wait, I don't get this, and you've been taught a certain way, then you're going to go ahead and have a little uh, breach there as far as your trust level with God, and and I want to I help you as best I can eliminate all the things that the society, uh, traditions of man, things that have come in to tweak our thinking about God so we can get right on the, right on the, uh, the nose about who he is. Turn to John 14, uh, verse 5. Gospel of John, 14, 5. Get your phones out. Let's read the word. 14, verse 5, the Gospel of John. And this is a story when he was talking with Thomas. They've just talked about heaven and about this. This is later in, in his life. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He's kind of wrapping things up. He's talking about heaven and where he's going. And Thomas said to him in verse 5, Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus was trying to tell them about heaven. And Jesus answered and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 7, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. 
whoa, Jesus just dropped the bomb on them saying, look, if you've seen me, if you're looking at me, you're looking at God. If you hear my words and, and, and do them, you're hearing God's, the Father's words and doing them. Jesus, and this is why they killed him, by the way, because him, being a mere man, is claiming to be God, a perfect reflection of the Father in bodily form. Wow. So Philip said, even after that, which is pretty simple English, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus is like, I'm going to smack you, Philip, upside the head, boy. Oh, wait, that's my version. All right, verse 9 says, Jesus answered and said, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And so in your notes there, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father, Jesus talks to the fact that if you know Jesus, if you're listening to his teaching, you're getting direct teaching from the Father. So the creator of the universe spoke, and so Jesus tells us that, look, guys, the reason the Father sent me to this earth was to show mankind what the Father's heart is really like. So if you've seen Jesus, if you hear him, that's God's heart being poured out to you through Jesus Christ. So it's pretty amazing when you get to read through the Gospels, which I highly recommend reading through the Gospels as often as you can, to get the, the, the teaching of Jesus because that is the direct revelation of the Father God himself in the creation of Jesus Christ, his manifestation as the Son of God, and his, every word he speaks to you is the Father's heart being poured out to you, is bringing correction. Sometimes it's tough against the Pharisees. Sometimes it's love and compassion and grace with the prostitute. It, it, it's all, but he's showing you how he views certain things, how he uh, views certain thinking patterns and people and all that. So you can learn so much by listening to the words of Christ because they are the words of the Creator. And so that's a good concept to know. And, and when, we're, when we're thinking about this concept of knowing what is God really like, well, hey, let's talk Jesus and we'll really find out what God's like, what he thinks about things, how he views certain things. You can learn about his character. You can learn about how he thinks about money, about marriage, about all kinds of things in life by listening and reading the word. What we think God is like, and your letter C in your notes, will affect our entire lives and our eternity. I want you to let that sink into your heart. What we think God is like, his character, what we think he's like, will affect our entire lives and our eternity. So we have two things at stake, our life and then ever after life. And based on how you interpret and think God thinks about you, what you think God has for you, what do you think God interacts with you, all that and how you think about that will affect your current life and your whole eternity. Ask yourself this question. Have you ever misunderstood God? I guess it's kind of a funny question, but yeah, right? But think about how much the world has misinterpreted who God is, how the world sees God, how, how they see the church. And I want you to write in those lines some, maybe a couple things that where you've over time, even growing up, where you once thought something about God, but realized, oh, that's not at all how God thinks. For example, I put, you know, maybe you grew up thinking God was just about a bunch of rules. And then you learn like, wow, yeah, he has rules, but there's way more rules. He's not about rules. He's about loving me, and he gives these for a healthy parameter for my life to, to protect me. 
So that would be some, so, so write something in there that as you're thinking, where have I misunderstood God or, or even have I? And where have I put things on God that maybe were from my growing up standard that maybe weren't really taught? Uh, I, I wrote down a bunch just in a, in, a, in a second, but write down what you think, um, and I'll give you a few. I, you know, one's maybe angry. Maybe you grew up thinking God was always mad at you and because maybe your father was an angry man and you related that to your heavenly father and thought, man, the minute I mess up, man, God's just going to lay the hammer down because God's just, he's just ticked because we're not living up to his standard. You know, misunder, mis, misinterpretation. Take a moment, think about that. Write down what comes to your mind when you ask the Holy Spirit, have I misunderstood you, Father? Am I thinking correctly about you? And maybe you know, and, and then your, in your spiritual growth, you may know of things that you've overcome in your Christian life as you've grown in that, thinking, yeah, I used to think this way, but through God's word and his and Holy Spirit, I now think this about God. Anything popping up? Yeah? Good. Um, you know, I, I, I put some, and I'll just read them out just so you have them. You know, uh, how many of you maybe thought God was just disappointed in you all the time? You just couldn't, couldn't measure up. Or maybe that God was just an absent God, like he just created you and left, and he was on some other universe dealing with stuff and wasn't even there, absent. Um, too busy, maybe. He was just busy, didn't have time for you. Uh, maybe if you grew up Catholic or you thought there was you know, like too many rules or maybe there was too high a standard. Like a lot of people think that, oh, God just expects way too much than we, we just can't do all that. It's, he just expects too much, too high a standards. Or maybe you just think God, it was about a, a men controlling society through religion or a money scheme or maybe you just thought God wasn't fair. Isn't it interesting how a lot of these things which is sad, but not all, but a lot of these things, we misinterpret God because of the way our father interacted in our life. For example, my dad was a great guy, loved Jesus, but was really quiet and didn't say much, never talked really deep about his life. And so I kind of grew up in my teenage years, younger years, you know, thinking that, you know, God loved me. And he's, you know, my father worked hard, supplied food, you know, helped me out greatly but never really got to know him personally. So I kind of thought God was just, he was up there and he loved me a lot, but we weren't really going to talk that much. You know, and whenever needed, he would kind of go, hey, you're going the wrong way. You know, oh yeah, sorry God. But I knew even in that he loved me, but because of my father's relationship with my father, that's kind of how I view God until I started getting to the one who was in his presence. Jesus was in his presence from eternity. There's no beginning with the Christ. He was with the Father from beginning, and uh, he knows exactly what the Father's like. And so when you start learning from Christ and the Word of God, what God is like, then you start transforming your thinking patterns about what you thought God was like, how you thought God viewed certain things in life, uh, friendships, uh, political stuff, marriages, um, religious, all healing, all that stuff. You think you have the, the, the way because that's how you've grown up. But when you re recognize what God's like, you're like, wait, if he says that, this must mean he thinks about this subject this way. Huh. And that's called renewing of the mind. That's called the washing of the mind through the water, through the meditation on God's word. Make sure you have a correct interpretation about God. The consequences are huge. Make sure you have a correct interpretation about God because the consequences are huge. This is all the way from he's the only way 
to how you live your life and, and what you do in your life to your eternal rewards. So we want to go on a few-week discovery, um, and we're going to go, we're going to, we're going to dive into Job um, soon, and then we're going to hit a couple other things that have been misconstrued in scriptures to help us get to a place where we shouldn't be about thinking about God. And there are scriptures that are taught certain ways that kind of lead us astray from that. So we're going to look into those. So let me introduce to you Job. I mean Job. I got a coffee the other morning and I looked on my label and it said Doug, D-U-G. <laughs> no, that's D-O-U-G. I've also gotten D-O-U-G-H. Doe. What's up, Doe? All right. So this is Job, not Job. So Job, you know, a lot of Christians have gotten a lot of wrong information about God through Job. Um, Job is a fabulous story. Job has a lot of stuff in it that is not really talked about. Most commentaries spend time on the three friends of Job and draw conclusions from his three friends when that's a dangerous place. We'll get into that more later. But a lot of people have heard and used Job's story and use it where it's not in alignment with God's word, so it gives us incorrect results on the way we think about God. And remember, we need to think about God the way he really and truly is so that our results can be in alignment with his word. You know, let's talk about what was available to Job because Job, if you know, uh, it's, you know, it's not at the beginning of the Bible, but it actually should be probably at the more the beginning of the Bible because Job was, was uh, written very early, right? Before Abraham, before the law. So I would put in there, what's available to Job? Not much. He didn't have much to go on. Job was a man without, the law hadn't been written. Uh, he didn't have the Bible. He didn't have scriptures yet. Uh, he didn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Uh, Job didn't have the finished work of Jesus. So Job uh, was in a tough situation because he was in a very uh, a wicked generation. Um, uh, they had forgotten God. Uh, they were on uh, their path uh, towards Noah, towards being completely wicked. So he was living in a tough time. And when we think of Job not having much, it kind of helps us understand how he thought about Job in certain ways, which we'll get into in the upcoming weeks. So let's begin in Job 1. In Job 1, I want to read the first few verses and just lay a good overview foundation of what we're looking at. So in verse 1 of Job, uh, it says, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, a, and very many servants, so, this, so that this man was the greatest of all people of the East. So that kind of gives you a quick snapshot of, you know, two things. First, in the King James, it says Job was perfect, but they do a little better job in here that he was blameless and upright. So is anyone in this room blameless? Okay, so even though the word says blameless, if you study this, this talks about Job being just a good old guy, loved God, hardworking guy, but no one in the Bible says there is no none not righteous. 
right? So Job wasn't sinless. He was just a guy like you and me that struggles with things, has fears, has temptations, um, has an opportunity to go towards the creator or away from the creator. So Job was a good guy. So we have to set the stage with Job that even though the, the Bible says words like blameless and in the King James says perfect, the actual word is also uh, translated into plain. It was a plain man. So he, meant he was just a guy. So we got to get that in our hearts because a lot of people read, especially when the early church in the 1900s used the King James Bible a lot. That used to be like, oh, if you didn't use the King James, you were a bad boy. And so the King James Bible said perfect. And so a lot of people thought, okay, if Job is perfect, then everything he said was perfect. And however he reacted was perfect. And whatever he did was perfect. And if you have that in your mind, wow, you're going to get, a, you're going to be wrong from the first verse about how you're going to interpret the book of Job. Are you with me? So that's an important thing to know. The second one is about, he was rich. He was a blessed man. God had favor on him, and the way he was living, he was trying to please God. He knew, and he had a heart. He was a good guy, wanted to do what was right, had values, and God was blessing him, blessing him big time. Well, then we get to verse 4, which, if you think about it, it's a, it's a funny, awkward story to pop right down here in the narrative um, in this, but we'll see what, why it's there. But Because then after verse, um, once you get into verse 6, then you jump right into Satan talking to God. And it's like, well, that's a weird jump over, but let's look at this portion. So verse 5 says this, or verse 4. His sons used to go and hold feasts in the house on each one on his day. That's talking about their birthday. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be, what if, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts Thus Job did continually. So Job had kids. His problems thus started. Aww, love my kids, but I can understand where Job's at. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Someone amen. Um, the problem starts here. You know, it's interesting that this story about his kids was plopped right in here, and God never puts anything in his word that doesn't, is not needed to be there. It's needed there, and there's a big reason why. And, and let's think about this. So we have Job, a bunch of kids. They have a big party. So the, I'm a, I'm a, you're assuming from the context that they're, they're drinking and they're doing their thing. Who knows what's going on, right? But it's bad enough for Job to think, oh, my, they're not doing what's right. So And think about this, too. Job probably was a couple generations from Adam. Like he didn't, he knew, he heard the stories of whatever lineage he is, we don't know that, but whatever lineage he was, he probably heard the stories about Adam. And we know because he did sacrifices, he knew some type of sacrificial system. However, it hadn't been in the law yet, so all the law of Moses hadn't come in with all the rules around sacrifices, but he made sacrifices. And we know back in Genesis when Adam and Eve 
sinned and they were covered in animal skins, that there was a sacrifice system instituted there because they had to cover themselves with the skin of animals. And so now, from that point on, blood, the sacrifice, had to cover sin. And so Job had that knowing about God, but check this out. It doesn't talk that Job ever confronted his kids. Why didn't Job go and say, uh, this ain't happening in my house. We serve God. This isn't right. No law or not. He knew. Romans tells us that we have a conscience that knows what's right and wrong. God's put in our hearts. We know between good and evil. We can all discern it. We know what's right and wrong. And Job didn't ever go do that, but he just sat there and let his kids have their way. Maybe he was an enabler. Didn't want to offend his kids. Didn't want to... He wanted him to like him. He wanted to be his friends instead of the dad. Interesting, huh? Isn't it that Job did this? And so we see Job, instead of confronting his kids, we see Job to start to try and do works and effort on his end to protect his kids, thinking that, oh, wait, I could correct that behavior and talk about why and have relationship with them and intimacy with my kids so that we could talk and really work this out so they could see that it's not about them just not having a party. It's what that will do for them in their future and see the consequences of sin. And he could have shared all that stuff with them, right? But instead, he let them do what they did. And then he got into this this thinking of, well, instead of relational and talking to them about their relationship with God and how that should be, then I'm just going to do the sacrifice and That'll appease for it. So, so Job's starting to get into like a works mentality, kind of more like a, I'll do this. And you know, Israel did the same thing. Israel got into that where they just, they just kept on sinning and, yeah, I'll sin and ha- you know, go to confession on Saturday before church and just party on Friday, confession on Saturday, right? A lot of, a lot of my Catholic friends I knew would, hey, let's do whatever you want. You just go to confession. Once you go to confession, you're good. You have a clean slate, now you can go party more because you're, you're not up to your, your line there. Are you with me on the thinking here? So Job's starting to think like, okay, I'll just do these sacrifices and man, because I know that they're going to do something bad and they're, they're screwing around and it's not right and they're going to do and curse God. And, and then, you know what he thought in his heart? He thought, because they're going to mess up and screw up and then I'm going to lose everything I have because God's going to be ticked. It says that later in a couple chapters. Job said, the very thing I have feared has come upon me. That was after what happened to him when the enemy wiped him out. We'll get into that later. But we look at Job and we see Job starting to get into this mentality of doing acts of religious things to appease God instead of knowing He got into more doing acts than really being with Jesus, and he got stuck in a very common trap, a trap that's been back in the old days, and it's it's here today, and it actually will be here in the end. And this trap is his, Job's lack of knowing got him doing for all the wrong reasons. You see, his lack of knowing his kids building relationship, even being a little more sensitive to, the, to, to God in his life at that point in whatever capacity he could be, 
he got into doing the acts of religion to appease God. And so he started doing, doing stuff out of the wrong reasons because we all know that good works are great. We should help the poor. We're to feed the, do all this stuff. We're to do all these great works, right? But works don't get you saved. It's by grace. So, but our works come out of our relationship with God. So all of our good deeds should be flowing out of our intimacy with Christ are knowing Jesus and being close to him, and out of that close relationship, the natural response is to go, you're so good to me, and oh, God, you're teaching me so much. I want to just be good to others, right? We're a vessel, right? We're supposed to feed on God and love him and worship him and get charged up, read his word, find out what he's like, and go, man, God, you're so good. I want to tell all my friends about you. God, you're so good. You provided food. I want to go give food to the people that can't, don't have food. I want to give clothes to people that don't have clothes because, God, you're so good. So God's pouring into us. The natural result is to give out of being with him, right? Not giving clothes so that, God, see what I'm doing? I'm feeding the homeless. I'm at the, I'm at the church thing. I'm good, huh? You like me now? Are, you, are we all good? Yeah. Do you see the difference? And a lot of us, Think in our minds, oh, we don't do that. But I would challenge you to just look at your life and examine it. And there may be ways in which we all do that because it is a trap that we got to be aware of. The trap repeated itself throughout history. The choice between being and doing. Look at Luke 10.38. 10.38 says this, in uh, Luke 10, 38. It's an interesting story because we see this happening in Job thousands of years before Christ. We see it through the Old Testament when uh, they were making sacrifices to make them. And uh, yeah, the prophet said, uh, you know, God cares more about your obedience than your sacrifice. You think sacrifice is going to make everything okay? It's not. He wants your hearts. It's always been about your heart, church. It's always been about you and Jesus having an intimate, close relationship that's why I'm spending time on it. That's why I'll continue to spend time on it because I'm going to drive you, I don't know, I'm going to encourage you and do whatever I can, irritate you so, until you understand and get that grasp in your head that the most important thing of your day is getting up and being with Jesus. That's got to be your priority. That's got to be your heart's cry. And if you're not doing that, you're missing the whole purpose of the coming of Jesus. That's why he came, is to reconcile us to the Father, to give us a relationship to God. But look at this story. Jesus visits uh, Martha and Mary. In verse 38, Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem. They came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed them, uh, him into her home. Now check this out in verse 39. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted. Underline that. By the big dinner she was preparing, she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here? Underline sits here. While I do all the work, tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her in verse 41, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Highlight that. Think about it. Get this into your heart. This is Jesus speaking. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered that, and it will not be taken from her. What did Mary discover? 
She was at the feet of Jesus. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus, soaking in what God was really like. She was at the feet of Jesus, learning that this man Jesus was from God and telling them how they can be restored into relationship with God, how they can come and have a brand new life and live forever with him. And, and Jesus said, she's discovered it, guys. That's the most important thing. If you're going to think or be concerned about anything in your life, be concerned about spending time at the feet of Jesus. Mary sat at the, at the Lord's feet. That was being. She was being present with God. She was being with the Lord. Martha was distracted with doing. She was getting into the works, trying to do what she thought would get favor with God, and, and that's not where God was at. God said, look, you've missed it. She's got it, being at the feet. One thing was important. The one thing to be concerned about, and I want you to meditate on that this week, guys. One thing. I mean, Jesus summed it up right there. Guys, there's one thing. That's being at my feet, knowing me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, he's the bread of life, right? He's the water that never, you'll never be thirsty again. He's the doorway. Jesus is the whole purpose. If we don't have him, if we're not at his feet, we're missing everything. We could be getting so busy doing other things and busy doing the works of the ministry that we miss the purpose of the ministry, which is him. Another story that I want to look at in closing is in Luke 6. This one is pretty scary, actually, <laughs> when I first read I've read it a bunch of times, but it's just when you read it, you're just like, wow, how can this happen? But it's Luke 6, 46. And this is Jesus is talking about that day, that judgment day, that end time. And he says in verse 21, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? That means miracles, power, acts of power of the Holy Spirit in your name. And then verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Wow. And so a couple questions I want you to notice too in a couple statements on tw verse 22, the word many. Many will say, Lord, Lord. Many will say at that day, not a few, but many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, meaning lip service. You know, God doesn't care more about what you say than what you're actually, your heart's at and what you're doing. You can say, I'm a Christian. You can go to church. You can do all these outward signs of trying to please God. But God doesn't like lip service. God always looks at your heart. But many will be on that sign saying, Lord, we did this and that. And many will do. I mean, think about that, church. Think about these guys and gals that are saying, Lord, we did a miracle in, your, in, your, in our time on earth, and then yet Jesus says, I don't know you. I mean, the, that means someone with the power of the Holy Spirit working in their life at some point prayed for someone that was blind, and God opened their eyes. And so there, there was something there. Maybe, maybe their love was more tight and then grew cold, 
and they faded out. They started all excited and connected to God, but through time and distraction in life, they slowly grew cold, and they, they knew God less and less and less over time. But I, I'm amazed that these people could operate in the power of the Holy Spirit with God moving. And a lot of us sitting in this room would love to pray for someone and have their arm grow out that got chopped off in an accident. I mean, who wouldn't, right? And to actually see that happen and be a part of that would just be amazing in many ways. But all the time, that doesn't even mean anything at the end when Jesus says, I never knew you. I never knew you. Guess what that word in the Greek is? New. I never knew you. The same one in John 17, 3. Jesus is saying, I never, he had knowledge of them. He knew who they were. He knew their names. He probably knew a lot about them. But he didn't know them. Does God know you? If you stand on the throne, is Jesus going to look in your eyes and say, I know you. I want you to think about that because that word means knowing is not just a knowledge about, but it's a knowing of two-way relationship. It's where you talk to God and God talks to you. If you're the one only talking, that's not a relationship. That's not what this word implies or means. It's about knowing him. It's about having a relationship of knowing who he is. Jesus cares more that you know him intimately and personally you talking to him, him talking to you, then he cares about how much you've done for him or how many times you've gone to church or how many um, outreach things you've done or how many times you've taught Bible study or hosted something or cleaned the church or whatever. He cares more about that than what you've done because what you do should be flowing out of that intimate relationship. Are you with me? My son, Justin... He's 23, and we got to see him Friday night. I don't get to see him much. He lives in Stockton, uh, not serving the Lord right now, um, living with his girlfriend, great girl, um, just not interested in God right now. And we got to go visit him, watch him play softball, and he actually bought our dinner. Isn't it cool when your kid actually buys your dinner for the first time ever? Isn't that a weird? That's a, all of you that have kids are probably like, yeah, that's crazy. you know. Just, and this is actually the first time. Any of my kids, he's my oldest, 23, Jordan's 21, and Kelsey's 19. But first time anyone's really just totally bought us dinner, and it's like, whoa, that was pretty cool. And had a good time with them, and you know, last week I was, before that happened, I was praying and, and thinking about um, this concept, and the Lord started talking to me about Justin, because I'll, t I'll text my son, hey, how's it going, man? And he won't, you know, three days later, oh, hey, dad, how's it going? You know? I talked to his, actually his girlfriend, she'll text back more than me and find out stuff about Justin. So, I, you know, and, I, and, and the Lord said, you don't really know Justin, do you? I said, well, of course I know Justin, he's my son. Come on, grew up with him. I know Justin. He's like, do you really know Justin? What does he think about this? What does he think about this? Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what he thinks about that. Because we don't have two-way communication. There's, not, there's no intimacy in our relationship. There's no, there's no knowing right now. I know what he was like growing up. I mean, he's a great kid. He's got a great heart. Uh, but right now, I mean, he's been out of the house for, since we've been married for six years now, and been on his own. And, and, and 
You know, it's like, I don't know him, and, and the Holy Spirit impressed me and said, Doug, if you were Father God, and you had to, your son came before you and sat down, and his getting into the kingdom was based on your knowing him or not, according to the scripture, could you honestly say that you know Justin? And man, that really messed me up. I was like, I can't. I would want to lie and say, yeah, because he's my son, right? And let him free. But no, if I was thinking the way the, the scripture's talking about here, and I knew about, I know Justin, he's my son, and I love him dearly, and I pray for him, and I talk to him about God, I do all that stuff. But I honestly couldn't sit there and go, I know you. And he said, Doug, that's what I want you to get across this weekend is that people need to know me because them being saved and being a Christian is not about a one-time act of raising your hand and accepting Christ. That's not, that's not what believe means. Believe means a continuous action, ongoing, everyday belief, trusting the Lord. It's a relational belief. It's a belief that you grow into. You just don't accept the Lord one day and do whatever you want for the rest of your life and think that God knows you. Are you with me? I know that's a kind of a serious thing, but I want you to hear today, it's not about what you do. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Even reading your Bible, trying to do all these Christian things doesn't make you knowing God. It doesn't make you intimacy with God. You getting a hold and, and, and getting on the floor and getting with Jesus and putting him a priority of your life, making him the Lord. If he's Lord, he's priority. If he's not your Lord, then he's not going to be a priority in your life. But if you make him the priority, it's a, it's a choice of your will to say, no, God, I'm choosing to make you Lord. I surrender myself. We die to the flesh, guys. We've been, we've been buried with Christ. We're resurrected in new life with Christ. We belong to him, guys. And this is about knowing Jesus. And I want us all in this room and people we know and we stand before God. I want God to look me right in the eyes and say, I know you. We talk. You've heard my voice. I've corrected you, I've encouraged you, I've done all kinds of stuff with you, and, and you know me, yeah? Come on in. Bring it on in. I want to know him on that day, and I'm telling you, there are a lot of Christians today, church, maybe in this building, in a lot of church buildings right now, that would stand before God, and I'm afraid that God would say, I'm sorry, but I don't know you. But you know, Jesus, there's hope. There's hope in Christ. There's hope and there's power of, to change in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can give you the power, the wisdom, the encouragement, the wherewithal to make a change. And you can make that change today. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to pray now. And I want you to think about what was said, what the Holy Spirit saying in your life. Because, church, this isn't about me trying to, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to give you the truth. I'm trying to give you the truth as plain and simple as I can so that you can know it. And as you know, intimately know the truth, the truth will set you free. I want you to be free. But if we, as a church, we need to know this concept of knowing Jesus, this needs to be a priority in your life because if that's not your foundation, all that you do, all the works you do are going to burn up. You could be... Well, let's just use Chris. Chris could be the greatest worship leader we know. We love him. He, he leads us into worship. And he could do all this work of ministry. He's getting ordained tomorrow. 
uh, at a conven- our, our convention. He's getting, he, he loves Jesus. I know he loves Jesus, but you know he can do all this great work up here leading people to Jesus. I can preach the greatest messages ever, lead a million people to Christ, but I've got to know him. All that stuff has to be on a foundation of Jesus Christ and you personally knowing him. If that's not your foundation, it's built what they call in a faulty foundation. And it actually goes in that scripture later to talk about that when it's built on sand and built on rock. And I'm telling you, church, I want your life to be built on a rock. And that's got to be Jesus, not just the knowledge of him, not just that you raised your hand one time and prayed the sinner's prayer. That's not salvation. That's a part of it. But salvation is knowing him, being reconciled to the Father, and being in an intimate relationship with him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We give you honor today. And we're so thankful for your powerful word that gives us stories that help us see what you're really like. Because, God, we want to know what you're really like. And so, Father, as every head's bowed and eyes closed because we're just concentrating on you, God, we're focused on your Holy Spirit and, and your movement today in our hearts. God, I want to I present the question today to those who have never made Jesus Christ the Lord of their life. And if you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, that's your first step into knowing the Savior. That's the first step into feeding on the, the bread that never ends, getting the manna, the, the source of God that never ends. And if you want to do that today and you've never made Jesus the Lord, now I'm not talking about confessing his name, I'm talking about believing in your heart that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and and coming into a relationship with him. If that's something you want to do this morning, would you raise your hand up and we're going to pray with you after service. Just you and one of our pastors are going to pray. Is there anyone here today? I want to make sure everyone in this room is actually in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Anyone here today say, yep, Pastor Doug, I'm not. I want to make sure that I am. I want to make sure that I have, uh, uh, he's the Lord of my life. I don't want to get to that day and say, and be scared. Is God going to actually know me? Because, guys, that day could come tomorrow. It could come this afternoon. Jesus is coming back, and if you think you have time, you have just entered into the devil's trap. The enemy wants you to think you have all the time in the world. The enemy wants you to think that you've got, you, you got this whole week, you've got years to go. You'll do it later. You'll put it off. No, don't put it off. Make today the day of salvation in your life. Don't put it off. Because you're not promised tomorrow, guys. And then I want to... I want to speak to those of you that are Christians, that are go to church, that do Christian stuff. You might even pay your tithes. You might even read your Bible consistently. You might even, you might even lead a Bible study. I want to talk to you, and I want to ask you, does Jesus know you? I, didn't, I couldn't say that about my son, though I desperately wanted to figure out a way around that desperately but I couldn't honestly say that I knew my son and I want you to ask yourself in your heart right now Holy Spirit do you know me because the Holy Spirit's not about no I don't know you he's not mad he's not angry at you no that's not what God's really like God is desperately jealous for you God wants you he wants no other lovers in your life he wants you and all of you And he loves you so much that he died for you. And I'm talking to Christians now. I'm not talking about people that aren't saved. I'm talking to people that are Christian and do Christian stuff. Do you know him? 
Is he priority in your life? Does everything else on your agenda bow to the time with Jesus? Or does it take over the time with Jesus? Does it push time with Christ out? I want you to ask that question, guys. Are you the Lord of my life? Jesus, are you truly the Lord of my life? Jesus said this, if you love me, you'll obey the words that I say. What did he mean by that? Did he mean that he was, you had to obey laws? No, no, no. Jesus came to give you life, to give you a relationship. And if you love him, you'll listen to those words and enter into that desperately intimate relationship with him. So I'm calling, calling you today. If you're here today and you're not sure where your no level is with God or you're not sure that he really knows you and you want to make a commitment to change, I want you to raise your hand and say, you know, Pastor Doug, that's me. I want to know him more. I don't want to be in that boat. I want to know God more and I want to make a commitment today just before him that, God, I am determining to know you more. And if that's you, raise your hand. And there's hands going up and that's, that's awesome. And in a sense, we all want that, but I don't want this just to be a thing that you think you're supposed to respond to. I want you to respond if it's in your heart to go, I want more of you, Jesus. I want to know you intimately. And I think the biggest deception that we deal with today is that Christians, we think we know God and yet we don't know so much about him. Father, you see the hands up, Lord, and even more importantly than the hands this morning, God, you see every, everyone's heart bare and open before your eyes. God, you see right through all the skin and the body and you go right down to the base of the heart and you see our intentions, you see what's really going on, you know our thoughts, God. And so, Father, I ask that you would strengthen every person in here to pursue you. You would give everyone the courage to discipline themselves, to make their lives surround you instead of you trying to find a place in their life. God, let, let, we would say, God, be our priority. God, we want to put you into first. And maybe today you're here and you're thinking, man, if I had to rate it right now, God would probably be number five or six or three. And today, God, we want to make you, we want to put you back on the throne and we want to make you number one in our life today, God. And what, that's what we desire. And God, we pray that you would encourage our hearts, God, to be hungry for you when we wake up, Lord. Help us to think about you, God, to make you a priority, to jump in your presence. Let there be no other priority when we wake up other than you, God. Because you're that important and you're that good. And it's so worth it, God, to give you everything. We love you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, take these words, the message, in all of my weakness, God, and help us all to hear the Spirit of the living God speak to us today. Because you speak to us different. Each individual is hearing what they need to hear from the Holy Spirit today with their personal walk with you. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take your precious, powerful word and get it in our hearts in the good soil so that this can actually produce change and produce fruit. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.